Well, I know what you must be thinking. What a Scrooge. And I'm not talking about Steve. I'm, I'm talking about the writer of Ecclesiastes. Come on. We, we um, as we come into this season... We'll be looking at a couple of texts, and one of them is Ecclesiastes, and the other one, as you heard me mention uh, earlier to the children, is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I'd love for you all to read these two texts with me as we go through the season. I've just finished a reading of this one last week and this one as well, but I wonder as we hear the reading from Ecclesiastes if a more appropriate response each week might be, instead of thanks be to God, what a Scrooge. Because couldn't you imagine Ebenezer Scrooge sitting in his workshop with a couple of coals sort of flickering and warming the place and a candle kind of burnt all the way down and it's cold, it's, it's freezing, and he's muttering to himself the words to Ecclesiastes. Meaningless meaningless. Everything is meaningless. May seem a little off-key for this time of year. And if you're feeling that, I just want you to know that the worship planning team was giving me side-eye too. Each time we came and approached one of these services with this text in mind. The rabbis uh, would say about Ecclesiastes that it didn't defile the hands, which is the way they would say it was an inspired scripture. This is one of those books that throughout time people have wrestled with. They didn't want it in there, and once it was in there, they wanted it out. And why did they want it out? Probably because of the tone and tenor of the book. It's too cynical, it's too honest. It's too raw. It's too melancholy. Why would we want to read about something like that? And how could this be inspired? Now, you may not want to kick it out of the biblical canon, but you may be wishing you could kick it out of this season. But I think there are some threads that weave Advent and Ecclesiastes and Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol together. Chip thought or humorously commented to me after I told him about the series that he was going to save his Halloween decorations and post them around the sanctuary because of all the ghosts in the story. I don't think we need to do that. I don't think he really took me that seriously. But if we look at the common threads besides past, present, and future which are threads throughout all three of these stories, uh, there is one that wouldn't seem to be there after this first reading from Steve that reverberates throughout this book and throughout this one. And that is, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? What does it mean to live a life that is meaningful? Is there anything meaningful about this life that we're living in? And if there is something, what does it mean to lean into that? In fact, what's happening here and what's happening here is a sifting through life and a sifting through wisdom, trying to name what are those things that make this life meaningful. And how does it start? It starts by here and here looking at the past. Why? 
Because if we want to move forward and understand what is meaningful about the present and what might be meaningful about the future, we have to look to the past. Peter Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, has said many times, you may have Jesus in your heart, but you have grandpa in your bones. And the reason that's important is because no matter how much spiritual enlightenment or transformation you may be experiencing in your relationship with God, we also have this history that goes even beyond our history that is moving around and wrestling and pulling our strings. And so if we want to understand how we got here, and if we want to understand what it might mean for us to live a more meaningful life out there, we've got to first look at the past. And as we do that, right here at the beginning of this Advent season, I think what I'd like for us to do is allow the author of Ecclesiastes to shine a light on three phrases that we see in this first chapter that repeat themselves throughout the book again and again and again. The first one being, under the sun. Everything that happens under the sun, or on this earth, or under the heavens, or between the hash marks of birth and death, it's a way of inviting us to consider all of what might be meaningful about this life, not the afterlife. The teacher here is trying to gather together wisdom, and that's actually what the teacher's name means, gatherer, koheleth, or translated into the Greek, ecclesiastes. It's a gatherer of people or a gatherer of wisdom. And so this gatherer is trying to sift out everything under the sun, everything that happens in this life, not just elementally, elementally, but chronologically, leaving no stone unturned in an attempt to understand what might be meaningful in the present and in the future. And that, that, that's helpful for us, too, because what has happened in the past, in our past, can be a good predictor of what is happening in the future and what and why something is happening in um, the present. For instance, some of you know, you all, many of you know, I went on a sabbatical in 2022 that I was supposed to go on in 2021, and it was funded by a grant from the Lilly Foundation. And to get that grant, I had to write a proposal that helped them understand why the plans that I was laying out might cultivate renewal in my own life. <clears throat> well, to do this, what I did was look to the past. I looked at the past and found a couple of moments in my life where I knew in those moments something significant had happened, where um, my encounter with God seemed to be more real, where the sense of renewal or blessing seemed to be stronger. What the idea was that if these kinds of practices or activities had nurtured some kind of renewal, some kind of God connection in me in the past, perhaps putting myself back in those situations might set me up to experience these things in the present or the future as well. We can look at our past and the things that we're proud of and the things that we're excited about and the things that we treasure and we can examine those things closely and honestly and they can tell us something about what it means for us to access a meaningful, abundant life in the present and in the future. But there are other things in our past as well. 
Often a relationship with a therapist will begin by excavating the past, by bringing forth the traumas of the past, things that have been done to us, things that we have done or left undone uh, in the lives of others. And we see this with Scrooge as well. You may remember that when the Spirit takes him back into his own past, there are moments he appreciates, moments he revels in. There are moments of nostalgia that he'd forgotten with um, important people in his life in the past that he wished he could have recreated. And in the the midst of those moments, he was thinking, ah, yes, how might I bring this, this lesson from this moment into my present? And it was easy for him to reflect on that. But there were other moments too. There were moments, and we see this in many of the films, where Scrooge immediately turned away. Take this moment away from me. Don't make me look at this memory. Don't make me think about this again. To which the Spirit responded, I'm only showing you shadows of things that have been. These are things that have already happened. These are things you already know to be true. And yet, how many of us do the exact same thing? There are pieces of our past that we don't want to look at, we don't want to look at that we don't want to think about, things that have been done or left undone by others in our lives, things we have done or left undone as well. And many of those things are keys to understanding how we are and why we are the way we are in the presence. For instance, with Scrooge, if you look at the trauma and the experiences in his own life, what you see when you trace the thread back from the past to the present is that what happened over time is that he began to close himself off that he began to build a wall of security around himself, not only financially, where he wasn't going to let anyone touch any piece of wealth that he had earned, because he never wanted to be poor again, but also emotionally. He closed himself off to anyone and everyone that might hurt him or love him in an effort to stay safe. By going and excavating the past, there was a sense of the why. Why we are and how we are and who we are. And I wonder if there might be spaces as we go throughout this Advent season where you might be willing to slow down and allow God to excavate some of those things from your life as well. Not that they would be taken away, but that you might be able to look at them and receive them and wrestle with them with the kind of raw honesty that we see in Ecclesiastes, under the sun. Uh, The second phrase I think we need to pay attention to here actually comes in the form of a word that was probably the first thing that struck you when Steve started reading, and that is the word hevel. Hevel. Hevel is the word that we heard translated meaningless. Everything is hevel. Everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. The King James says vanity of vanities. Maybe you have a different interpretation in your hand. What are some other words you've heard for hevel? If you look in any number of translations, you will see different expressions of that 
word, trying to capture the essence of it. But perhaps one of the best ways we could capture the essence of it this morning is by doing something like this. Does it work? It works. I told somebody right before I did not bring this for my hair. Actually, let's see what it does. No, just a little bit. Just a little bit. But that in and of itself shows you that Hevel is not nothing. Hevel is not meaningless. Hevel is not something that doesn't have an impact at all. The word Hevel can be translated mist or vapor or smoke. And the idea of Hevel is that it is temporary. Sometimes you can translate it baffling. Everything is baffling. Everything seems absurd or everything is, and this is the sense of all of it, temporary. Everything is temporary. If you try to get your hands on it, you can feel that it's there, but you can't get a grip on it. You can't grasp it. Everything in life, every relationship, everything we earn, everything that we have is hevel. Hevel. Which doesn't mean it means nothing. Which doesn't mean it impacts nothing, but it does mean in light of the temporary nature of all of the hevel in your life, how should you live in light of that? When you're seeking balance in life or success in life, what what should be your definition of success? Where should you speak, seek to spend your time? What kind of impact should you seek to make? When people look back at your funeral on the hevel of your life, what will have accumulated or not? What will be the residue that's left over from that? And what might you do now to influence what your hevel may be? And what be, might be left behind in the wake of that? Everything is hevel. It's all just hevel. Temporary. It's there. And then it's gone. So in light of that, how should we live? The third phrase is related, but it's not exactly what you may think. The teacher says, all of the hevel is just a chasing after the wind. It's a chasing after the wind which seems like another way to say it's meaningless. Or to say it's, it's just it's something that it's, it's out there and, and we can reach for it and we can feel it, but we can't get a grip on it. It's just a chasing after the wind. It's just have a, what is the point in any of it, we might think. That's the way we might wrestle with the hevel. And that's what I was thinking about, but as I pondered this over the past couple of weeks, something occurred to me that hadn't occurred to me before. It prompted me to do a little more study because it wasn't something that I was reading about in my study, so it may be hogwash. It's probably just hevel. Um... But I wondered if there might be a connection between the wind mentioned over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes and the other places we hear and learn about wind in the Scripture. 
Often there is kind of a hyperlink in Scripture between when you hear something and the first time that thing appeared. And what you see when you begin to chase down the wind in Scripture is that the word for wind, which is ruach, that's what I was wondering about, was first introduced in the opening verses of Genesis in talking about the wind of God's Spirit, the Ruach of God that hovered over the waters. Ruach also appears at other times talking about the wind of our spirit. I wonder what it would be like to think about the wind in Ecclesiastes as the spirit of us or the spirit of God. What if life is just a chasing after the Ruach? If it's talking about our own spirit, I'm reminded of a quote from Parker Palmer about the soul that may instruct us as we move throughout this season, looking to get our hands and our hearts on the meaning of life. The soul is like a wild animal, he wrote. Tough, resilient, savvy, self-sufficient, and yet exceedingly shy. If we want to see a wild animal, the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, shouting for the creature to come out. But if we're willing to walk quietly in the woods and sit silently for an hour or two at the base of a tree, the creature we are waiting for may well emerge, and out of the corner of an eye we will catch a glimpse of the precious wildness that we seek. How do you capture the wind? How do you capture the wind? You don't. Sometimes you can harness it with a sail on a sailboat and it can take you somewhere. Maybe somewhere that you direct or maybe somewhere that you don't. How do you capture the wind? You really don't. But if you sit still long enough, you can feel it. You can feel it against you. You can feel it cooling you or warming you. How do you capture the wind? You don't. But you can be calmed by it, and you can be swept away in it. I wonder what it would look like for us to experience what the writer of Ecclesiastes seems to be leaning into when he talks about chasing after the wind. What does it look like for you to chase after the wind? You might say, that doesn't exactly mesh with everything I see in here because there's a lot of things that Koheleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is chasing that don't seem to be God, and maybe that's exactly the point. Maybe that's the point. Augustine used to say, God, you made us for yourself, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. Blaise Pascal had this idea that there was a God-shaped vacuum in the middle of each one of our souls that we were longing to fill with God, but would often seek to fill with other things. What if that's what it means to chase the wind? It means that we're longing to fill our souls with the very thing God made for it to be filled with, and yet we're chasing other things that could never, ever fill it. How do you capture the wind? 
How do you receive the wind? You may remember a story about an African tribe that a reporter was trying to research and he went out into the wilderness with this tribe and was following them and they were kind of on a mission to show him a special space and they needed to get there quickly and they were going fast through the wilderness and over the streams and around the corners and up and down the mountains. But every now and then, without explanation, they would stop, sometimes for up to a day. This confused the reporter. And finally, after stopping a few times, he went to the tribal chief and said, why, why, if we've got to get there quickly, why is it that we keep stopping for these extended periods of time? And he said, it's because we're moving so fast that we've left our spirits behind. And we're trying to give our souls a chance to catch up with us. Sometimes in life, we're moving so fast that we don't realize it. We feel thin. We feel like something's not quite right. And it's because, it's because we're moving so fast that we've left our spirits behind. And my hope is that during this Advent season, as we try to ex- excavate the meaning of life, that we will find ourselves in some spaces where we can see, receive the promise that Jesus made to us when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How do we receive that rest? How do we get a sense of the wind of the Spirit that is blowing all around us and among us and within us? Sometimes, simply by taking a moment or a season to pause, to be still, and to allow the hum of God's Spirit to blow against us as we seek it in our lives. We continue to do that now as we worship together.